0: Welcome to the first episode of the Fringe Element here on 440 Sports, the 440 Sports Network. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We are an SEC podcast. My name is Braden Gall. You're going to hear from Chris Doring breaking down the SEC East. Coming up a little bit later on, you're going to hear from Dari talking all things first weekend in the SEC slate. You're going to hear from Cole Kubelik going in-depth on the SEC West. So We've got a lot of stuff playing for you guys today here on our debut episode. Uh, of course, my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, at Braden Gall. Before we go any further, though, I have to introduce my co-host on the show, a woman I've worked with for almost a decade, someone who's worked inside an SEC football program as well as in the media, and now she's here with us on this show having a lot of fun. Erin Dugan, how are you? It's great to see you, and it's great to have you on the show.
1: Great to see you, Braden. Are you nervous?
0: I'm actually quite nervous. I know. I'm sweating a little bit. Uh, also... You know, launching a company and starting your own media empire uh, with the help of wonderful people like yourself is not an easy thing to do. But we're gonna have fun talking about SEC football. So
1: you're gonna end up being an Instagram influencer.
0: Oh God, how does what? <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Number one, no one wants to look at me and see photos of me now. Can Retweet. my da- Can my daughters become Instagram influencers don't because of my company? Yes. Yeah, see, I'm not. I'm not. I'm more of a Kristen Cavallari type. I'm not really a. Name an influencer that puts their kids all over social media.
1: You should change your Instagram bio to a Kristen Cavallari type.
0: <laughs> it's not bad, actually. I like that she kept her kids off the, off the, uh, off the television show, you know, here in Nashville. For I could feel who, it. For those who watch Very Cavallari. Uh, Aaron, first of all, before we get into Alabama and the rest of week one, just give everybody an idea of sort of who you are, what you've been doing this these last 10 years, and, and why you're passionate, of course, about jumping into a, a project like this.
1: 10 years. Gosh, I'm old. Not as old as you, but...
0: Thanks. Yeah, uh, appreciate that. Uh, I do. And that's part of why you're here is to make me feel great about myself, Aaron. No, uh, listen, everybody knows sort of where my history and passion around the SEC has come from. Uh, it's not that difficult. I've spoken about it a dozen times. But wh- what about you? Where did your obsession with all of this come from?
1: Ooh, it's deep-rooted. Do you want to hear the story story?
0: Like the whole story?
1: I mean, I'll try to make it brief, but there is a story.
0: Uh, well, please. Okay. You have a podcast now. It's wow to tell stories.
1: What a time to be alive!
0: <laughs> Everyone's got a podcast.
1: Okay, here we go. I'm going to start by saying that I don't feel that my manic obsession over the outcome of collegiate sporting events is in any way a personal character flaw of mine, but rather one that was thrust on me genetically. Mm. Flashback: 1985, Liberty Bowl Stadium, Memphis. My future parents were there. They're watching their beloved Memphis Tigers take on the loathsome Tennessee volunteers. Easy. My future mom had to leave at halftime to get ready for an important event, which would be her wedding. (laughs) My dad says, always says, that November 9th, 1985 could have been the happiest day of his life, but the Tigers just could not get the offense going in the second half. (laughs) Flash forward on November 9th, 1996, my parents' eleventh anniversary from section twenty-two of Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium, seven year old Aaron Dugan witnesses the actual happiest day of her dad's life <laughs> as our beloved Memphis Tigers defeated Peyton Manning and Braden's University of Tennessee volunteers for the first and only time in history.
0: Settle down. Okay. Mom You're, you have too big of a smile on your face right now.
1: I know. Mom, why is dad crying? Those are happy tears, honey, she says. I cried that day too, but it was only because my damn mom was physically restraining me from jumping the wall and helping my dad tear down the goal post on the field, a piece you're, of which still lives in our house.
0: Your dad actually went onto the field?
1: My dad was literally at the top of the how old post. was he? Ooh, I don't know.
0: Well, how old are you? I was uh,
1: seven, so I'm thirty one. He was twenty five years ago. I don't know. Forty? So Thirty-eight. That's
0: pretty. 38? That's my age now. First of all, which is depressing. But second of all, that's pretty agile for a forty-year-old to get to the top of a goalpost. At Nothing that age. was stopping him. That okay, day. all right.
1: Um, not and even the
0: Tennessee defense.
1: And this continued. This what they thrust on me, you know, from childhood continued. Considering that I really did not know until seventh grade that the last line of the national anthem was not "Go to hell, Ole Miss." <laughs> <laughs> Found that out the hard way. <laughs> I ended up at Vanderbilt Ooh, Athletics. Paxton Lynch
0: loves that joke.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he does. Um, ended up at Vanderbilt, like you said. Uh, picked to go to school there just because it was such a good combination of athletics and um, Division one athletics, which I wanted. Was on the dance team there for four years. And so I spent a lot of time on the sidelines when I was not in the library or at a bar.
0: Bars are good. Bars I like good. bars.
1: Um,
0: I do like libraries. I want to go back to libraries, but I go to bars more often.
1: You can go to Oxford. There's a bar called the library. I,
0: that's a fair point. I've, been, I've actually been to it. It's, <laughs> me too. It's quite quaint.
1: Then I met you um, during my internship my senior year at Athlon Sports. Somehow conned one of the VPs into creating a position for me and then spent three and a half years there yeah. um, doing video and digital, trying to get you to stop talking, the latter of which proved mm. to be difficult. Nope. Nope. Yeah, still hasn't worked. Nope. Um, then, like you said, ended up back at Vanderbilt. Spent four years there. I was the director of video production for the athletic department. And I think that was my favorite part of, you know, my my collegiate sports journey so far. Um, just spending a bunch of time with coaches and athletes and creating those relationships and doing a lot of storytelling.
0: And, and I think that's where, you know, this particular show... I, You know, it's not going to be like your average podcast and we don't want it to be. And I think some of that is because of your experiences and you've seen so many things up close and personally that I think you'll have some insights that, that, you know, I will not ever be able to offer people. And I think that's, what's going to hopefully make this interesting and, and give us a chance to do a show that frankly, nobody out there is doing. I mean, no, there are no SEC football podcasts, 365 days a year. Every episode we do, Aaron is going to be about SEC football and all teams you know, places in the SEC. And I don't think that, I just don't think people are going to be doing what we're doing. And I hope that's why people come along with us, you know, on this journey.
1: I think it'll be really fun. I mean, we're going to get a lot of crazies because, I mean, it's all SEC football. But bring them on.
0: That's that's the fun.
1: That is the fun. That's the fringe.
0: Again, as I said in the pilot, who doesn't love a good teabagging in the Big Easy? Late at night at a Crystals, I believe. Correct? What?
1: Should I know what that is?
0: Oh my God. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, LSU Bama
1: teabag is that th-
0: somebody got teabagged at a crystals i believe it was a crystals in the in on bourbon street i think in the in the quarter at least. how
1: did i miss this oh yeah how old was I though you're old a couple years ago yeah uh, this was debatable. not that long ago who can be too sure
0: i i i have two small children i can't be sure of anything <laughs> i think your credentials qualify you uh, uh, as your 40 year old father is climbing up a goal post i think your your college football credentials hold up i there.
1: tried mama dugan just got to me first <laughs> it's upsetting.
0: I love to hear it. And now you're on a podcast. Wow. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. Uh, and of course, uh, I hope everybody, again, follow her on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan at Aaron underscore Dugan on yep. Instagram, right? Yeah,
1: D-G-A-N. So
0: get to know her a little bit there and uh, have some fun and come along with us on this journey. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's get to actual football. Better late than never. It's starting only three and a half, four weeks after the first week of football was supposed to start. But we do have SEC football this weekend. Again, you're going to hear from Chris Doring and Cole Kublik to break down both the East and the West. Dari Noka on what's coming up this weekend on SEC Network. But, Dugan, I, I let, let's give everybody sort of our baseline picks of the season and sort of thoughts on the season now because we can. Because as soon as the season starts, we can't change our predictions. True. Because because we are people of honor, men and women of honor. Absolutely. Yes. All right, right. First, my first question for you, because Alabama is the favorite to win the SEC every year. They're the favorite to win everything every year, and they're clearly the heavy favorite to win the SEC this season. My question is, are we m- missing a question we should be asking about Alabama? I, I really don't have anything to ask you about Alabama. I, I know Cole's going to have some interesting things to say about it later, but I, I don't per- personally have a question about Alabama to ask you.
1: Why does it feel like that? Just because they didn't win last year?
0: Yeah, I mean, Ellis – they were the pick to win last year and LSU put together like the greatest season in the history of football.
1: I understand where you're coming from. I just, we could probably both agree that just Alabama is, you can't really argue with it. No, you really can't. Even when I, we were breaking down and you know, we'll get to this, but trying to figure out, you know, what the records are going to look like. It's, it is possible to see that Alabama goes without a hitch.
0: You think they can go 10 and 0?
1: I think they can. I don't know if they will. But if someone's going to do it, it's going to be them.
0: I agree with that. And it and our and a question we're going to ask in a second is just what does a championship record look like in the SEC with 10 conference games? I, I Nick Saban's had one undefeated team. And again, I haven't checked the, the, the conference records on this, but I know he's had one undefeated championship team. And that was 2009. And every other cha- championship he's won, he's had at least a loss. But never a 10-game conference schedule. And you've seen how hard these schedules are.
1: Yes. I mean, very debilitating, very hard on your body. I mean, but you look at like their line. I mean, these guys are, they're always huge, but they are so big. They're like all (laughs) 330 something. When I was looking at that number the other day, I just, I think if anyone's going to go through without a hitch, obviously it's going to be Alabama. And I mean, LSU's got to play Bama before they get to the end.
0: Yeah, and LSU's losing everything. Um, yes. They, they're losing coaches, they're losing quarterbacks, they're losing receivers, they're losing players to opting out.
1: The only thing that's going in LSU's favor is apparently, according to the rumors, who knows if it's true, pretty much all of them have had their own already. <laughs> so antibody central in Baton Rouge.
0: Is it herd mentality, I believe, is the phrase? And, and, and the other thing is the SEC offices gave LSU the best break as far as scheduling goes. Correct. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but like, they don't have to play three of the best four teams in the east so there's not a question about how they're built how they're constructed who they're playing that that makes you go mm, man I, I don't know because I, I can't find one either man I I okay depth on defense maybe if they get some injuries but like isn't that something you could say about everybody
1: I'm actually thinking I...
0: that's good <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do that so I do that on Mondays
0: <laughs> just just Mondays the rest of the week, no thinking.
1: Yeah, no, no. I keep that to a, a small amount. Um, I, mm, no.
0: <laughs> some some lo- <laughs> lots of thinking in there. Uh, all right, so uh, that that's that takes us to a conversation about what does a champion actually look like in the SEC? And I honestly believe there's a better chance that the champion of the SEC has two losses than has no losses. Like, I I think you could be nine and two and be the SEC champ, and that's more likely than eleven and zero.
1: I think it's more likely than an 11-0, but I think it, obviously, I'm going with 10-1. and
0: (laughs) So you're playing the Vegas odds.
1: Yeah, I'm playing the Vegas odds. Anything to beat you.
0: Well, that's fair. I I don't know if it's Georgia or Florida in the east. I'm still torn. Like Depending on what side of the bed I wake up on in the morning, I'll pick Georgia. If I wake up on the other side of the bed, I'll pick Florida. I, I was Florida back in April. I was Georgia a couple of weeks ago. I think I'm back to Florida now. I just, the continuity and the quarterback, I, I I, don't like picking one of those two. I don't think that either one of those two is 10-0 and 0 in Atlanta against Bama, and I don't think Bama's 10-0 and 0 in Atlanta. I think they all have a loss, I guess, is what I'm getting at here.
1: Okay, so you think, I think if Alabama loses, it's to LSU in Death Valley. Although Death Valley doesn't carry the same weight, but it's still a way, if they have a loss, it's LSU.
0: When you say it doesn't carry the same weight, you're talking because there's not as many fans. Uh, yeah, because right.
1: you can actually hear yourself think.
0: Because of a pandemic. Correct. Okay.
1: Um, Florida, Georgia, I think they both drop the cross divisional opponent, but I think Georgia beats Florida.
0: Then you have to pick Georgia.
1: Yeah, I am picking Georgia.
0: Okay, so you've got Georgia. I will balance it out then just because you pick Georgia to go Florida so that I can rub it in your face later. Perfect. Okay, so we both have Bama. You've got Georgia. The question is what and again, so you think Bama beats Georgia in your opinion and comes out of the SEC at I guess that would be 10 and 1. 0% chance that team misses the playoff. 0% chance. Yes. I don't think a two-loss champion misses the playoff.
1: No, I don't think a two-loss champion misses the playoff either. I just think it will be 10-1. and
0: I think you're probably right. I do, I do think there's three or four or five teams that could be in that conversation. A&M and LSU, I think you could put in that conversation, but I think at the eh, I'd go Florida-Georgia ahead of them just because of the division. I do think that the big tens decision to come back into football has had one major effect on the sec. And that is, I saw a second sec team getting in almost not guaranteed, but almost like it was, it seemed like a no brainer that a second sec team was going to get in. Now I think with Ohio state or Penn state or the big 10, maybe taking a slot, it feels like a second sec team is going to get left out.
1: Here's our one agreement for the show.
0: This is the one. Yeah. Here it you is. are, you, you've I- given yourself one per show.
1: Yes, if I go over that, I'll make sure to counter it on the next episode.
0: So that you don't agree with me at all. Well, I just want to net
1: out at one per show. So okay. if I go twice in one, I'm going to make it zero the next week. <laughs> okay, wait, let me throw something else at yeah, you. Yeah. Are you drinking? Well, you are kind of drinking the the Kentucky Kool Aid, and that's gonna we're gonna talk about that in a second. But
0: yeah, if save it,
1: if anyone's save drinking it. the Tennessee or Kentucky Kool Aid, which no one that. I think they're
0: both going to be good.
1: I know. But do you think that affects, can you see that affecting Florida or Georgia at all? Uh, You think one of them drops Tennessee or Kentucky,
0: Florida, maybe because I think Florida finishes with Kentucky and Tennessee at the end of the year. Okay. And both of those teams could, I don't know where they're going to be, but they both could be, Florida has to go to Neyland stadium in the last week of the year. Like Tennessee could be, you know, they finished last year on a a strong note. I, I, I think Kentucky and Tennessee are going to play a factor in the championship race, but they will not be in the championship race. They will spoil mm-hmm. somebody's season, whether it's Georgia or Florida. They both play Bama. I don't think they're going to win that game. But I, I, I feel like Ken- Kentucky and Tennessee and maybe Auburn even to some degree are going to play a factor in who wins a division. I don't know which division. But I think those teams are good enough to to wreak some havoc a little bit. They're going to be tough outs.
1: Yeah, I think Kentucky or Tennessee beats Florida or Georgia. One.
0: I think that's fair. That's That's a few games to choose from. That's four. One out of four. I think that's a fair I, that's I think that's about as
1: high as I'd go on either of those two.
0: And that's the that's what could decide the SEC East though. Correct. I mean that's what could happen. So all right, so you want me to go with my Kentucky spiel here? Yeah. Is that what you want? All right. Kentucky's gonna go on the road this week in Auburn on the Plains and they're gonna pull the upset outright. They're a ten and a half point underdog. They've got an offensive line that's absolutely ridiculous. Auburn's rebuilding along the defensive front and along the offensive line. I like Bo Nix. He's really good. Terry Wilson back. I just think Mark Stoops continuity, all that stuff. I think they go on the road and they beat Auburn outright, calling the double-digit favorite to lose at home to Kentucky in week one. That's my outlandish hot take for the week.
1: You heard it here here first, folks. Well done. Thank you. I'm going to disagree with you because that's my rule. (laughs) And also, this is easy to disagree on. I do think the spread is. is a little bit wide. I don't think they should be favored. Auburn should be favored by, t- is it 10?
0: Ten, 10 and a half, I think, yeah. Um, Last we checked.
1: But I love a vest. And for that reason, <laughs> I'm going with Gus. And I'm going to make sure I wear my vest on that day. And okay. I'll probably post a picture and say, vest friends, hashtag. Wow. You like that?
0: I, I Well, I don't know if it's good for you that I like that. Because it's kind of a dad joke.
1: 100%. Okay.
0: It's not kind of, it's 100%. I'm trying to 100%. relate to you. <laughs> I do appreciate it. This is why you're on the show, Aaron, is to keep me in my place. That's the whole point. Uh, all right. Uh, you've got Auburn. I've got Kentucky. Um, anything else? What You could go anywhere in the SEC in week one. Where are you going to go? I'm
1: going Tennessee at South Carolina.
0: Okay. So it's, it's the smallest point spread of week one. Only, it is. Only a three-point favorite. The, it is. The Cox underdogs.
1: Cox. And, I mean, I know that the game day experience won't be the same because, you know, you won't have – however many thousand people jumping up and down to Sandstorm. I remember going there the first time when I was on the dance team in college, Vanderbilt on the road, and I could see the tower swaying when everyone was jumping up and down doing Sandstorm. So it was pretty cool. Obviously, I wanted to win, but the game day experience was good. Here's another good thing. The Gamecocks lose a lot, so they have fun no matter what. I don't have a lot of stake in the game, so... I'm gonna have fun regardless. If UT happens to pull it off, my little brother went there. I guess I'll you okay. know, be happy for him. But at, at I'm the having at fun. the Aaron
0: Dugan South Carolina fans at the Aaron Dugan, <laughs> um, since she just said that you guys just lose all the time. I believe is what you said.
1: I said even when they do, okay. they have fun.
0: Okay, now Space Odyssey 2001 is amongst the greatest uh, beginnings to a football game that you can ever experience. Uh, I, I, it'll feel a little hollow if they decide to do it without fans uh that'll be interesting to see so uh I, I think that's a that's a really good one the other one I would go to I I, I would go to the Grove of course anytime but uh again fans aren't going to be there so it's different but Florida Dan Mullen returning to the state of Mississippi against Lane Kiffin making his debut as a head coach in the SEC that's fascinating can't wait to see what the Florida offense and frankly what the Ole Miss offense looks like we're we're not even sure how he's going to use either quarterback both Matt Corral and John Rice Plum. We could both play they bring a little different skill set, but they both can run. Can Lane Kiffin figure out how to have a running quarterback? So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that one. That one's really of note. Otherwise, it's like, you know, yeah. I I think LSU and I think Mississippi State could score some points on LSU. Mike Leach making his debut.
1: I think it'll be interesting to watch their offense against LSU's defense. Yes. Um, like that air raid style, but I don't. I don't think. I mean. I think we they're, know it's gonna happen. Yeah,
0: they're always use a heavy favorite. Bama's a heavy favorite, Georgia's a heavy favorite, they should roll. New coaches, by the way. Welcome to the SEC.
1: Wait, can mm. we go back for a second? Mm. Because I want to talk about what we think old Miss fans will stop at to tailgate the way they want to. Do you think they're gonna have their chandeliers still up, but they're gonna have those plexiglass covers on their tents?
0: What <laughs> so like you, I mean, think about it. You step up to the shrimp cocktail buffet and there's a like yeah. a golden corral co- spit guard. Maybe they'll over just your- be like
1: like glass tents now
0: (laughs) with a chandelier. I I don't know what the rules are and I don't know what County Oxford is located in. So I don't know what the state government or legislator has as far as gatherings go. I've seen looking across college football, the first couple of weeks, there's people that are being very creative to try to watch their team, like building tree stands and deer stands and all kinds of stuff to watch their teams. I would assume that Ole Miss fans will do something silly. This is the sec after all.
1: I think creative and also willing to spend money. I mean God. they tailgate d- in style.
0: Uh, what else? Anything else in this week's action? It, there's a lot of blowouts. I'm gonna, again we'll let nah. Chris, we'll let Chris and Cole and Dari do a lot of the work on this episode. So uh, there's a lot coming up. I'm going to take Bama over Florida, and Bama makes the playoff. That's my final prediction.
1: I'm taking Bama, but it'll be Georgia.
0: All right, let's get to some interviews here. On the program, you're going to hear from Dari Noka coming up a little bit later on. You're going to hear from Cole Kubelik to break down the West. But first up, my conversation diving deep into the SEC East, getting you ready for 2020 with the great Chris Doring. Chris, let's get started first with how your predictions or maybe perception of the season and how it was going to play out back in March and April, you know, when, when When all the preseason magazines start coming out and and how you viewed the SEC East and the hierarchy there to to today, game week, how how has your thought process changed with all that's happened, uh, players opting out, schedules changing? How much have you changed in what you think will take place in the SEC East through that process?
2: Yeah, it's funny because I think my standings are pretty much the same as what they were dating back to February or January of last year prior to the uh, pandemic. Um, But I think the way we've gotten to this point may be a little bit different. Um, I had Florida all along. I thought Florida was well built to come in and take that next step to get to Atlanta again, to get over that Georgia hurdle. Uh, But because of the the pandemic, because of the loss of spring practice, because of the very uh, little amounts of time that players and coaches got to be together this offseason, I think that further solidifies what I think about Florida's chances. Because this is a year where you need to have Continuity in the coaching staff. You need to have familiarity with the schemes. You need to have players that have experience. You need to have leadership on on both sides of the ball. And I think that that Florida is built that way in, in every different uh, uh, every fashion. Conversely, Georgia is very quite the opposite. They've had so much uh, adversity and turnover. You know, losing their offensive line. Uh, Cade Mays, a guy I'm sure we'll get into talking about here today, leaving and, and going elsewhere. Losing Sam Pittman, who I, I think is a commodity on that offensive line. Uh, as a coach that, that maybe we're not given enough credence to uh, a new offensive coordinator, shoot the, the turnover at the quarterback spot. We we're in game week right now. And, and we're still a, a little curious as to what that quarterback situation is going to be looking like. So I do think it's, it's Florida and Georgia at the top, but I think also for the same reasons that I gave you about Florida, I think Kentucky is that dark horse team in the East. They too have the continuity in the coaching staff. They too have depth of talent on, on both sides of the ball. And getting Terry Wilson back as the leader of that team, the experience that he's had as a starter, I, I think his record, I believe, I'm off the top of my head, 12-3 and three as a starter at Kentucky. I don't know the last time you could say a starting quarterback at Kentucky has had that sort of winning percentage and, and, and just straight record, man. It's pretty amazing.
0: I was going to ask you, because the next question, I, I agree, it's Florida and Georgia. We can get into a little bit more about Georgia. I think defensively, they, they might be the best team in America, but, you know, I'm with you on all the, the, the lack of continuity on the offense. That That is going to hurt them. I w- my, my next question, Chris, was going to be, I, I, I look at Tennessee and Kentucky, and I've been very high on Kentucky all offseason for all the reasons you've said. Great offensive line, coaching continuity. Uh, Tennessee's got some of that same stuff, too. The coaching staff hasn't been around as much, but the offensive line looks very stable. With Cade Mays being eligible, that that even further cements that. They've got a veteran quarterback sort of not in the same skill set as terry wilson but a guy in jared garantana who's played in a boatload of football games again he may not be the overall upside guy but he's guys played a bunch and they've got some continuity some talented young players a good defensive coach like there's some similar there are a yeah. lot of similarities and pruitt's 2-0 against stoop so far so how, how do you parse out tennessee versus kentucky on challenging the top tier
2: it's interesting because uh, Jacob Hester and I had this discussion. It, it's hard to be in on both Kentucky and Tennessee. I think a lot of people put them in the same similar category, but you're either Team Kentucky or Team Tennessee. Uh, but I, I agree with you, man. I, I think last week's announcement about Cade Mays, um, the, the eligibility waiver being granted after Tennessee's appeal, makes that offensive line one of the best in the, in the entire conference. I mean, it's ironic because just a couple years ago, they were miserable on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, but uh, Trey Smith returning to form, uh, Brandon Kennedy at that center spot, finding two true freshmen last year that played really well at, at the tackle spots that come back this year, and then plugging Cade Mays in, a guy that can play every position on the offensive line and the experience that he brings dating back to, to being on that, that uh, all-freshman SEC team a couple of seasons ago. Um, I think that is a really good offensive line. As you mentioned, the, uh, the, the quarterback situation you feel good about, uh, finish the season on a six-game winning streak, The thing that I worry about is where the leadership comes from. Because last year, if you remember, the season turned when Daniel Batuli got healthy. When Daniel Batuli got back in that lineup, that defense played a much more consistent uh, brand of football. Uh, Nigel Warrior gone as well off that defense. On the offense, you lose Juwan Jennings and and, uh, Callaway. Those two guys were big playmakers. So where does the leadership come from is the question that I want to see answered early in the season. And, and let's not forget the way there, – there's no acclimation to this year. I mean, Tennessee did not acclimate well last year to games they probably should have won early. You don't get your stuff together early in this SEC-only schedule. Uh, you could find yourself off to a, a bad start. Now, to their credit, they were able to recover from that. But this is not a year that you want to say find yourself playing from behind.
0: So, So I – it's funny because you said you can't – be on both teams and I'm sort of on both teams. I both yeah. I like Kentucky and Tennessee both to be really tough outs this year. I don't know if they're going to pull a whole lot of huge upsets on teams that are clearly better than them, the Alabamas or the Georgias or the Floridas, but I I do think that they're both w- good enough to maybe get to that 6 win mark or pull some upset. Like I like Kentucky to beat Auburn on the road in week 1.
2: I love that game. I mean if, if somebody's looking for a great value in week number one. I, I, I love Kentucky getting the points. I love Kentucky potentially winning that game outright. Um, and you mentioned Kentucky and Tennessee being tough outs. As a Florida guy, I look at the end of the schedule. I mean, this is a, a shaken up <laughs> schedule where typically Florida yeah. plays Kentucky and Tennessee in September. Yep. Now Florida has to finish against two very difficult SEC East opponents, one of which they go on the road to, to Knoxville and Neyland Stadium in December, nonetheless. I can tell you as a Florida guy, Going uh, north in December is not what we're
0: used to. Oh, come on. It's Knoxville. (laughs) This is, you're not going to like, you know, Saskatchewan here, dude. Come on. Let
2: me tell you what. One of the reasons we've heard from Tennessee fans forever, they they hated playing (laughs) Florida in in September. It was too early and there was a distinct advantage. I can tell you having Tennessee come to the swamp in September when the humidity, I know it's similar weather, but it's a lot more humid down here, a lot more stagnant. We found ourselves being able to run Tennessee into the ground in the fourth yeah. quarter because of the conditioning. Difference. Well,
0: and, and Travis Stevens really likes playing games in Gainesville later in the year. So it's true. Like, hey, that's... the one year that finally <laughs> game, the game gets
2: rescheduled at the end of the year and they, and they prove that, uh, that yeah. theorem. Correct.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, so I, listen, we both are very high in Tennessee and Kentucky. We both think Florida and Georgia are at the top. So we're not really, you know, breaking ground here. I'm not sure what to make of the rest of this. I mean, I think Vanderbilt's at the bottom of this. I'm not even sure what we need to say about them, unfortunately. Um, I, you look at South Carolina and Missouri, and you look at these two teams, and, and there are a couple of pieces that you like about both of them. Will Muschamp entering a, a pretty critical season. I, I think Eli Drinkwitz is a really good offensive mind, but it's certainly not you know the higher that I think Mizzou fans expected. Um, what, what do you make of these two teams and, and do they have any ability, any talent, any pieces of the puzzle in place to sort of challenge? I know Missouri's better defensively than people think. And what is there there with those two teams? Again, South Carolina, only a, I think only a three point underdog to Tennessee this week.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, I think first of all, in terms of, of Missouri, I've come to like Eli Drinkwitz an awful lot. He's been kind enough to come on our show, uh, three or four times in this off season He's shown personality. You know, I, I didn't know a ton about him. Uh, Peter Burns, my co-host, even called him, uh, asked him if he was a nerd, which I think a lot of people probably uh, would have taken uh, objection to, but he he played along with it. He, he's a guy that has shown himself to align well with the players uh, there. I think they've, they've bought into what he's doing. I just don't know. I mean, it, what a terrible year to be a first-year <laughs> SEC coach, right? You know, not only yeah. uh, with the challenge of the 10-game SEC schedule, but also, none of those guys have easy first games. There's no real acclimation to, uh, to taking over that squad. Um, One of the things that I look at that stands out to me uh, in terms of Missouri, we've, we've known the names at the receiving core for so long at Missouri. I mean, they've, they've had guys that have just been playmakers outside on the outside. I I look at that, that, that group of guys, there's very little that I know about them. I mean, in the quarterback spot is an even bigger question. So, I, I don't know really what to expect. Uh, the running game was a, a bit disappointing last year. I put a lot of that on the offensive line. But you're right, the defense has a chance to, to keep them in some ball games this year.
0: South Carolina, how much of pandemic COVID 2020 gives Will Muschamp a pass this year from, from the, the fan base?
2: Uh, I don't know how much pass they get from the fan base. I think they'll get a pass from the administration. I'm very, full disclosure, I'm very high on Will Muschamp. I'm friends with Will Muschamp. Um, You know, I thought he had the worst luck in the world dating back to his days at at Florida as the head coach. Um, I think the same of of what's happened at at South Carolina with injuries. And it happened to him again uh, in the preseason with one of their uh, highest recruits going down, uh, Marshawn Lloyd, the running back, uh, who was expected to be counted to play this year, gets injured early. But I I look at the thing that's turned him in, the thing that doomed him at at Florida and to this point at, at South Carolina, is not being able to find the right offensive coordinator. And they've shuffled through so many different guys. It, 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 it hasn't really worked. I think they've actually found the perfect offensive coordinator in this situation in Mike Bobo. You know, this is a guy that has head coaching experience. Uh, these guys know each other well. Mike Bobo has been in this, this conference um, as a coordinator at Georgia for a long time, played in this conference. So I, I really do think that this is the best opportunity. And he brings with him a, a quarterback uh, from, from Colorado State that, that uh, has won the job at this point in time. Everybody seems to be rallying around, and, and I was surprised by that because I thought Holinsky yeah. was going to be the guy, but um, th- this is an opportunity to um, maybe have an advantage over a lot of other schools that have new coordinators uh, where quarterbacks are trying to learn the system. You bring a guy along with you that, that can not only execute on the field, but can, can help teach those around him, and I think that's one of the reasons why he ended up winning the, uh, the starting quarterback job. I, it's
0: interesting you, you mentioned Bobo because I, I think I was a little surprised that Kirby Smart didn't bring him back. I think they Georgia.
2: wanted to. I I think that, well, and from my understanding, it was those two teams were vying for him. And, and the fact that he actually chose to go to South Carolina says right. a lot.
0: I mean, listen, I know Georgia fans have a very bizarre relationship with their play callers. I, I know that that's just yeah. a thing that happens in, in Athens, but, Mike Bobo's offenses were not the problem with those Georgia teams. I mean, they were up over seven yards per play almost every single year with him. I was a little surprised they went with Monk, and I want to use this to transition back to Georgia real quickly and talk a little bit more about the top because I I do think that Florida and Georgia, especially when you remove the Pac-12, although the Big Ten teams are now coming back into the national rankings, they're still probably – both top eight teams nationally probably right next to each other are they good enough in a 10 game schedule as a player you can speak to this because I think eight games in the SEC is just absolutely brutal I can't imagine what the players are going to feel like it with 10 games but is nine and one possible I mean Georgia's got to play Bama Florida's got to added added A&M and crossover they got to play each other I think they're good enough to be playoff contenders I don't know if the schedule in the SEC allows that to happen, and I'm curious if the committee takes that into account. H- how do you think that that's going to be viewed at the end of the year? If, you know, if Georgia's eight and two, and their only two losses are you know yeah. to elite teams. If Florida's only two losses are to you know Georgia and LSU or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah,
2: the bigger picture for me, I think it's more likely that the SEC champion ends up being eight and two than it is to be ten and zero. I just think this is going to be that difficult of a season. I can tell you having played in this conference in an eight-game schedule with some teams that you are, are almost like buys, you, you get worn down by the end of the year. The cumulative effect of playing this type of schedule, both physically and even more so maybe mentally, uh, trying to get up and, 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 and not only that, but you're dealing with this virus stuff as well. It's, it's going to be a challenging season. Uh, so I'm with you there. You know, I think in, in the East, uh, I think Florida and Georgia are both capable. Of being playoff teams. I think they're both capable of getting to to the SEC championship game. And let's be honest, the best path for one of those teams may be not even getting to Atlanta and, and getting to a college football <laughs> playoff. We've seen it happen before. So I, I do think that um, th- those teams are, are um, as good as anybody in the country. The problem is, without any sort of interconference games, um, now we're dealing with the most subjective year, and, and the, the College Football Playoff Committee has done it before. They, they've been tasked with utilizing the eye test, but really to have very little comparisons um, is going to be challenging. And let's not forget, there's going to be a diff- number of different teams that play different games this year. You know, the SEC champion could play 11 games. The, the Big Ten, at right. this point, maybe playing nine, or if, if some cancellations, they don't have any room to, to postpone uh, in their schedule. Really, it's going to be a challenging season for them to get all their games in. And who knows what the Pac-12 is going to end up doing. So it is going to be a tough job for the committee this year in, in utilizing the eye test to decide who's a viable college football playoff team. I,
0: I sure as hell hope we get to argue about it. I don't even care what happens at that point because that means we, at least we got enough football to, to argue about who should be in the playoff. And that makes me a happy person. So you I, and I, I, I hope you're tr- right, man.
2: We've been trying to come up with stuff to argue about the entire offseason. It'll be nice <laughs> to argue about some real football that matters at this point. <laughs>
0: Uh, We can argue about bourbon. We can argue about barbecue. We can argue (laughs) about uh, eye test. That's what we can do here. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Doring, always a pleasure, my man. Appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll have you on again soon. And uh, obviously, we'll catch you all over the SEC network coming up this weekend, every single Saturday right there. You got like four games coming up this weekend. So y'all will be busy. Uh, And I'm sure you're happy to to get back at it and and have some actual football. I am.
2: I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, Congratulations on the new show. and, And wish you guys a lot of luck and look forward to being back, man
0: good stuff there from Chris Doring diving deep into the SEC East. A lot of insight there into both Florida and Georgia going to be an impossible prediction until the two of them actually play. Let's get to Cole Kubelik, of course as well, also from the SEC Network. We're going to take a deep dive into the SEC West this time. Uh, Cole, let's let's start with sort of how you viewed the SEC West back in let's say April, May, June, all during the the lockdown. What's happened since with the change of schedule, some players opting out, how drastically have you changed your perception of what the SEC West is going to look like based on what you thought of the rosters, depth charts, and schedules, and and now having, you know, now being game week, how has that changed in your mind just as far as making predictions?
3: It's changed a lot. It's it's, it's really kind of intriguing to think about because – I sort of look at that block of teams after Alabama and I, I felt like I had that block of teams sort of squared away, the, the tier two SEC West teams and some because of opt-outs, some because of schedule, I have, I have greatly changed my opinion on those teams. Uh, if you were to go back, say, before all this started, I, I think I had a and in that number two slot. And I thought A&M could be a real challenger to Alabama. Now, they've sort of been hit by both, with Elijah Blades opting out, uh, Jamon Ozbin opting out. They've had a couple tight end injuries. So now I look at them and say, oh, man, I don't know if they're a team that's necessarily built to lose a couple of guys like that. And what I really liked before was the schedule, because they had one of those schedules that looked like sort of a gradual learning curve where they could sort of ease into the season and get – Um, I can't even remember some of the teams, Abilene Christian, and then, you know, Colorado and then they had Auburn kind of like week six or seven, that was going to be tough. Um, but then it sort of dipped back down again. And then obviously you had Bama LSU the last two weeks of the season. So I'm sitting there thinking, man, if you could go on, if you could be undefeated going into the last two weeks, you split those, you're in the playoff discussion. You might not get in, but you're, you're, we're talking about you. Uh, and think about the confidence that you would have going to Tuscaloosa, you know, nine and O or excuse me, 10 and zero, with a chance to play for the West and a chance to get in the playoff. But, you know, they, they still do have a veteran quarterback who I really like the offensive line is going to be better. Um, even though the depth of tight end is down, they still have Jalen Weidemeyer. I think the young group of receivers are, are going to be, they have a chance to be good. Damian really likes those guys. Um, and I think the defensive line has a chance to be maybe maybe the surprise position group in the league because people don't really know about Bobby Brown yet. We've been waiting on Michael Clemens for three years. If he can be healthy, he has, he has it in him. DeMarvin Leal is a little underrated. So I think they have some guys up front on defense that could really surprise some folks. And they've got experience at linebacker. So that side of the ball might be okay. I still think they're going to be fine. I think they're, they're going to be a good football team. But I, I've kind of removed them in, from contention of actually being dangerous when it comes to uh, overtaking Alabama to win the West this year. Uh, LSU schedule probably probably helped them a little bit, be honest with you.
0: Um, yeah, the, anti-Ala- was, the anti-Alabama th- or the pro-Alabama bias to me is hilarious, because LSU got by far the biggest break. Yeah. with the newest schedule because they don't play three of the top four teams from the East.
3: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, they, they were assisted uh, in, in that deal. <laughs> the um, I was okay with everything until Jamar chase and Tyler Shelvin opted out. Yep. And, and that includes some other really good players that opted out a ton of players that left early, a ton of players that graduated. I mean, a Heisman trophy winner, number one overall pick, then you lose, in my opinion, after Trevor Lawrence, the next best offensive player in college football in Jamar Chase, a guy who could play inside, who could play outside, a guy that breaks tackles, who wins 50-50 balls, who can hit you on in intermediate stuff, who can beat you over the top. He was a do-everything receiver. And to lose him, I think, was gigantic. To lose Tyler Shelvin, who I think has a chance to come off the board in the first round, was also gigantic. Um, in a new defense – I mean, you were looking at and having a really stout defensive line. And now Neil Farrell's opted back in, so that helps a little bit. But Tyler Shelvin is a boulder in the middle of that defensive line. And Upper might still be that to an extent, but the depth over there is going to be different. Um, you lose a couple of offensive linemen. You lose an elite tailback. Um, it's, I, I cannot sit here and say that I really see how LSU is going to compete in the West this year. Um, on the flip side of that, there's a lot to like. And I think we get so consumed with what's gone and what's missing and what's not there. Nobody talks about Jacoby Stevens. He's probably one of my favorite football players in the league because when you watch the film, he's everywhere. And everybody focused in on on Grant Delpit last year and then Stingley got a lot of pub late and Patrick Queen got a bunch of hype, deservingly so. And Christian Fulton was really good. But Jacoby Stevens was a dude for them last year. And what they really don't have is – like a Caleb on chase on they they don't have that yeah um, you know I, I think last year even though he was injured and missed some time he gave them a presence off the edge that was just different I don't know if they have that guy and divinity helped a little bit with that at times too but I, I mean I think Jabril Cox is going to be really good at inside linebacker uh, coming over from North Dakota State he's long rangy super fast uh cordell flott's going to be a great player kid out of Saraland, alabama when we met with dave randall last year he raved about this kid and what they wanted to play him more but they were just they they were full i mean they they had grant delpit they had jacoby stevens they had Derek stingley they had christian fulton that's kind of like okay where are you playing him like there's just there was only so many reps he's going to be a really good player so there's guys back i mean they're they still have I mean, Deculus is back at right tackle. Ed Ingram's back at left guard. they got some guys that have played. Um, None of us thought Clyde Edwards-Elayer was going to be anything to write home about this time last year. So uh, maybe they can figure it out at tailback again. Uh, The culture is something that I think helps them. I think coming off a national title through this offseason, through all the weirdness, I think that culture of we know what it took to just do it, so we got to keep doing it that way now. Your, your program can't live on that for you know, five or 10 years. But I think with this particular offseason, you know, it, can, it can be beneficial and will be beneficial for them.
0: I almost feel like I have to ask you about Alabama, but do I have to ask you about Alabama? Like Give me 30 seconds, because I'm with you. I think they're the, the clear-cut top team in the SEC. I think they're one of the top two or three teams in, in college football left standing best offensive line in the country, best running game maybe in the country. I think their quarterback room as a whole is wildly underrated nationally. I just – I mean, it's still the greatest coach in the history of the game. Like, I it just – I guess I am technically asking you about Alabama. But just g- give me – I'm with you. I don't think anybody's challenging them in the West.
3: Uh, yeah, we can hit Auburn in a minute because I think <laughs> there's some interesting parts about that. But you're right, best offensive line in college football – uh, maybe best running back room in college football um, right now. Probably best receiver room in college football with with Chase yeah. opting out. Um, and I think you got a quarterback who's played a little. He's coming off two three hundred yard games, and he's played a little bit. And he understands the system. It's the same system. There wasn't coaching turnover. Yeah. And they are going to be able to play a a much higher percentage of football than they did last year. So I think they're, they're going to be able to play a brand of ball that's, that's much easier to execute than they played last year. To me, uh, Alabama's the only question mark on defense because I think they're going to be able to play ground and pound. Uh, I think they're going to have a quarterback that knows how to manage things. They're going to make his life easy. I mean, you look at, you look at Smith and Waddle, like, yeah, they can do some things down the field, but they can also take really simple throws and turn them into explosive plays. Yeah. Um, the RPO game will go from about 70-30 pass to probably 60-40 run, in my opinion. Like, the thing when you watched them last year, Braden, and I mean this as a compliment, like, like Tua was a very arrogant football player. Like, he was an <laughs> egotistical football player, but yeah, I mean that yeah. as a compliment because yeah. – he attempted things that most other guys in their right mind would not even think about attempting. Like he saw windows that other guys would immediately, like mentally they would just shut that down. They would say, well, that's not there. Well, not only would he attempt it, but he would complete a lot of them. I think that goes away with Mac Jones, even Bryce Young, just because of his experience level. So it will turn more to something that is a lot easier to be successful with. Now the question is defensively. And if if they run into some injury issues up front early, like they did last year, there could be some problems. Because if it's just Christian Barmore, D.J. Dale, LeBron Ray, and then bust in some new guys behind them, they're going to be really they're gonna be really good. Um, those three guys are solid. Those three guys are problematic. But we hadn't seen LeBron Ray since the middle of last year. You know, D.J. Dale's banged up late, and Christian Barmore has had. Some disagreements with the coaching staff recently, so those things have to work out. Dylan Moses helps a lot, but and, and that was a big deal last year. But Xavier McKinney is the big loss because Xavier McKinney was the guy. I mean, he had that Nick Saban ultimate stamp of approval. Guys, what he was, and there's only been three or four of those in his tenure. Uh, you know, like Minka Rolando. Yeah, they, they all seem
0: they all seem to play the same position too.
3: <laughs> yeah, they, it's it's there's only been a few. Landon Collins is probably one of those guys, yeah, yeah. and you know, he he was a blitzer. He played the run. He covered the slot. He played deep. Like, he he was a do-everything guy. I don't know if you have that guy. Um, but you might be a little bit better top to bottom at corner as far as your depth. So, I, I think the style of football offensively will help the defense. And I think having Dylan Moses back to direct traffic and make some plays will also be beneficial. But that, if there is a concern, it would be on that side of the ball just because yeah. – it was, so, it was so far away from what the expectation is last year. And you, just, you think they're going to get it back, but you don't know.
0: So I, I do want to ask you about the, the Mississippi schools in a second. Um, but real quickly, Auburn, you know, always, almost always the most unpredictable team in, in the West, um, rebuilding at the worst possible positions to probably be rebuilding during a pandemic if anyone has that level of analysis. Are they closer to the A&M, LSU group, Sort of challenging for second place. Or are they closer to, let's say, whichever Mississippi school steps up and actually is is solid?
3: Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm still going to allow Auburn to be in that tier that tier two grouping right now. Like I think I think we have just sat down at a slot machine and like we pull the handle and you got the three little wheels and like that's A and M, LSU, Auburn and yeah. you just you don't know what you're gonna get with those three right now um they might all it might be three cherries you know it might be three sevens it might be three totally different things and one's way above the other but you have a quarterback with experience you have really good skill as far as especially receiver with Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz but then you you kind of you throw in worm and a couple like a like a, a Harold Joyner who are just different guys like Shivers didn't get in 20 carries a game Harold Joyner's not dynamic enough to get I don't think 25 carries a game, 20 carries a game, but they do different things well, so you can mix them and match them a little bit. Um, I think DJ Williams is, a, is fine, but he's, he's not a game breaker. He's not super dynamic. But then I think about, well, look what Gus has done with running backs. Like, who had Peyton Barber going for 1,000 yards? Like, Cameron Orders pain exceeded everybody's expectations. So he's kind of taken less and done – like, on Johnson was just – I mean, he, he, was, he was a badass. Like, we knew what he was going to be. Trey Mason was kind of that guy too, but there have been some other guys that sort of they did more with less. I think the big question over there is what's what's what is who's holding the the controller or the joystick for the offense? And is is Chad Morris being handed a menu to call plays from? Is Chad Morris being told what plays to call? Is the play calling switching hands game to game, week to week, quarter to quarter, half to half, (laughs) you know, half the season, half the season? If that juggling act in any way, shape, form, or fashion continues, I don't, I don't think they can just take off. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be hard for them to just take off anyway because you got four new starting offensive linemen, none of which have played a lot of football. Um, defensively, you know, you have an opt-out in the middle of that defense that's going to hurt because you already lost a generational talent in Derek Brown. You already lost Marlon Davidson. They can be good off the edge. TD Moultrie and, and Derek Hall and Big Cat Bryant can be good. Now – Auburn fans will tell you how good they are, but we haven't. There, there just flat out hasn't been a ton of production. So I'm kind of still waiting on it. The good news is the linebacking core is going to be exceptional. Um, KJ Britt is a legit old school downhill thumper. He is, he is the real deal. Owen Popo is your your new modern age can just yep. basically run with a, uh, a you know, a slot receiver type running back uh, uh, type linebacker. You've got some some ability in the secondary, Smoke Monday, Christian Tut. They've played a little bit, but the problem for me is you know, you can talk about Marlon Davidson and you can talk about Derek Brown. And everybody points to those two Braden, and they say, Well, yeah, those guys were good, but you know, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about all these other guys and this and that and everything? But there, there's I don't I don't know why Auburn fans just for some reason they get away from Jeremiah Denson, they get away from Daniel Thomas. Noah Igbignogany, you'll get some commentary about because he's a first-round pick, but that's a lot of wherewithal. That's a lot of know-how. That's a lot of experience that's gone in that defense. And I've talked to Kevin Steele, and he's told me these guys would line up in something that I didn't call and know how to get back to what I called after the ball was snapped or show something different by their alignment knowing they were going to go to something else. And I didn't coach that. I don't coach them to do that. But they've been around enough to know how to do it. So that's that's what that group brought last year. And I don't know if they have that. So it's the same thing with LSU as it is with a and There are pieces that can be very dangerous. But there are also a lot of real concerns with that football team.
0: So Mississippi and Mississippi State, which quarterback – head coach relationship and I'm going to include Matt Corral in this because I I, you know we fully expect to see a lot of two quarterback sets maybe if that's a thing for Ole Miss Uh, which quarterback head coach relationship in the state of Mississippi are you most intrigued by and which one leads to the most success including Costello and Leach
3: uh man if I had to just go right now I would say Costello and Leach because you go, I think KJ has six or eight 300-yard games against Power 5 opponents. Like, that's something that I brought up when everybody was losing their mind about Jamie Newman. They, like, Jamie Newman hadn't thrown for 300 yards. He he leaves college with no 300-yard games against Power 5 opponents, yet people told you he was a top-five pick for some reason. But, <laughs> I mean, KJ Costello's. I mean, he has done work against legit competition. Um, now, he's got to stay healthy, and that's the key, and that's been his issue. I, I think... That's an offense that I could see growing throughout the year and towards the end being pretty good, maybe the last half of the season, working out. They've got good receivers, and they got, in my opinion, the best tailback in the league. Um, so that's going to help a lot. I don't know what Ole Miss is going to do yet. My biggest concern with Ole Miss is that, you know, when I talked to Lane when he was at Alabama, we talked about quarterback runs, and he's, he said, I don't, I don't do that stuff. You know, this was when Jalen was there. Right. He said, you know, Loxley handles all that. You know, then Dave Ball came in the next year. We met with him, and he's like, "Dude, I've been coaching Tom Brady. I don't, I don't, I don't do quarterback runs. Locksley does all that. Does Lane Kiffin have a guy in there that knows how to get to all that stuff that he trusts that he will let help with that? I don't, I don't know the answer to it. Um, and Lane's a good coach, so he could figure out a lot of it. But you know, that stuff gets pretty complex at times." And the way Alabama mixed it and matched it, even when Jalen was right, people don't understand how complex it was. It wasn't just zone read right, zone read left. I mean, right. they were reading three techniques. They were reading linebackers. And they were they were reading front side defensive ends of plays where the quarterback usually you fake the handoff to the right and you're reading that backside end. They were reading the front side end, and, and, and either keeping it or handing it off of him. Like it was some really wacky stuff they were doing. It was really cool. So If they have that guy, then yeah, it's John Rice Plumley. And I think he can be dynamic. And I think he's a better passer than people give him credit for. If you just study him throwing the ball, he's actually pretty good. Don't just look at the numbers. He understands where to put the football, especially in the intermediate stuff. He understands ball velocity, ball tempo, when to change it, how to change it. He just missed on some on some low percentage throws. A lot of the down, there were a lot of drops on downfield throws. And then I think a lot of them were just basically either 50-50 balls or he was running for his life. But he is dynamic to the point that I don't think you can keep him off the field. So if it's just him and they can implement that part of their game, they've got enough of an arsenal on offense to be pretty good. They're not going to stop anybody. Yep. But they can be pretty good on offense.
0: Uh, all right, I'm going to let you go. Give me you, you have one sentence, which for both of us is very difficult to do. You have one sentence to describe Arkansas football in 2020
3: there will be improvement.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> there you go. That was one sentence. I can't ask for any more than that. Cole, uh, Cole Kubelik, of course, you can follow him everywhere all over the internet, the radio airwaves, the TV channels, all that cool stuff. Thank you, my man. Good to talk to you, buddy.
3: Thanks. Babe. Appreciate it, Brady. Good stuff.
0: Always the best stuff, of course, from Cole as he goes deep, deep into the weeds on SEC football and it gives you a great sense of what's going on in the West. That's for sure. All right. Next up on the show is going to be Dari Noka, studio host, uh, radio host extraordinaire, broadcaster extraordinaire, of course, for the SEC Network. He'll be covering all the games, of course, on Saturday and Saturday evening from the SEC Network studios. And always love talking with him and catching up with him, getting his perspective on what's going to happen this year in the SEC. And take a look at week number one. First, before we we talk about teams specifically, Dari, I'm just curious as a broadcaster, how do you prepare for a season that where we've had multiple schedules, you've got players opting out, it's so much more complicated to sort of get a feel for these teams. But just take the fans through sort of your job as as a broadcaster, covering the SEC, try to come up with a new way to analyze these teams.
4: You know, it's just so different. You know, like, I mean, it's 2020, right? So we've never done any of this before. And, you know, my biggest thing was just hoping to goodness that they would find a healthy way to play because – you know, I've got friends out of the Pac-12 network. And, you know, until recently, the Big Ten network, they didn't know if they were going to be playing. So, like, I was just thankful to be able to have a situation where I could go in and talk about football and, and then go through the depth charts as I need to. But, heck, even that, you know, that's changing all the time. What? Jamie Newman's not playing? You know, what's <laughs> happening? So, what's going on with Kate Mays? You know, there's all this stuff that's always changing. But um, more than anything, Braden, I'm just – you know, I, I feel lucky to – to kind of nothing's been normal since March. We know this, but knowing that I'm going to get to go in on Tuesdays for SEC now and Fridays and spend time with Chiswick and Doring and those guys on Saturdays too. Like just having that is, is a real relief. You know, it'll be fun. I love the idea of 10 conference games. I love the idea of, of uh, you know, every game being critically important. Uh, you know, not having that week 12 or 13, you know, garbage that we end up with every year
0: uh,
4: so there there are the pot you know you just try to find the silver linings where you can I think that's those are certainly some of them but I'm just glad to be able to go talk football again you know I was a little worried about it I'm not gonna lie and I still am nothing's <laughs> yeah, guaranteed we
3: know that
0: an <laughs> important an important note there no question about it uh spiking the football before you reach the end zone always a bad thing um yes let, let me ask you about what characteristics of teams do you think and I get it. Experience at quarterback is an easy answer. I, I know some of the obvious answers about which teams will be better suited to handle this. I'm more interested in the cultural personality, the coaches, the, the structure. Who, what is it that you think will actually lead to success?
4: Uh, one, th- one of them I, I think is certainly a consistency within the coaching ranks. Um, I don't expect Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss, or Mississippi State, as exciting as they might be to watch from time to time, I don't expect them to be in the top half of the league. Uh, because they're installing new offenses, new defenses, you name it, and and you haven't been able to establish consistency in practice to do that. I I certainly think that's part of it. Yeah, veteran leadership. Um, You know, making sure the guys, not on Saturday afternoons, but on Thursday night and Friday night, your buddies, your teammates, are where they're supposed to be and not where they're not supposed to be. Uh, I think it comes with maturity within the team, consistency in a coaching room, and and players who are – frankly mature more mature than some schools players may be to where they can make their own decisions we have to trust them you know we always use the word these kids these kids now we, we've got to trust them to be men and make decisions that men make in terms of doing the right things to stay healthy and protect everybody around them and give us all who love it a football season that's what will take I think make a team successful there's a million elements to it and I think they're all important
0: What's fascinating is you bring up something that I think a lot of football fans, in particular SEC fans, maybe worry themselves about that they don't need to. And you mentioned sort of the idea of them being men. And I think an example, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, I think, has been very outspoken and, and forward thinking on a lot of this the stuff that happened this summer with his team, sort of letting his players find their voice. This is sort of the age of, of athlete empowerment to some degree. And the coach who leans into that, probably the hardest, might actually find some success, I think the fastest. But I think through all of this stuff, Dari, what fans kind of fail to see is if athletes get all the stuff they want, name, image, and likeness, health insurance, all these things that most fans agree they should get and and certainly most players think they should get, and most coaches too. Your experience as a fan on Saturday won't change. You're still going to sit down. You're going to watch SEC Network. You're going to watch ESPN, and you're going to watch a great SEC football game just like you did the last 20 years.
4: Uh, No question. You know, as long as we feel – I think as long as we, the college football-loving public, trust that the kids want to win and play hard, and they're not only thinking about the NFL and money, but they are representing the school that you grew up as a fan of or attended um, and root for like crazy, as long as they're – and you have a feeling that they care as much as you care, I don't care what they're getting paid for name, image, and likeness. I don't (laughs) care anything about it. As long as we feel like they want it as bad as we do or more, we're going to be college football fans and we're going to root our butts off. That isn't going to change. You're exactly right. I'm one that feels, Braden, that they do deserve everything that they're, that they're asking for. I have no problem with that. I mean, if we sit here and we think that the schools should get all the money that these guys make that's, and they shouldn't get any of it, I think that's wrong. Now, the schools aren't going to pay them. I understand that, at least not yet, but name, image, and likeness. Let them go out and work their own business deals. We could all do it. They can do it, too. And as long as we feel that they they care about the program that we all care for, let's sit down and watch them and root like crazy for them.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be okay, fans. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> right, so, right. So Alabama was the favorite coming in. I'm not – you know, I don't really have any questions about Alabama, frankly. Um, I, but yeah. I would like to ask you about the other teams. You know, Texas A&M, um, mm. LSU have had some defections through this process. You know, Florida's schedule, I think, you know, got a little bit more difficult than Georgia's and with – with Georgia getting Arkansas and Mississippi state and crossover sort of an, as the additional games, Florida adds a tougher game with A&M. So some, and Jamie Newman now stepping away from the team. So things yeah. have changed in that second tier, uh, Auburn, you can maybe throw into that group. I, I think Tennessee, and Kentucky, are going to be pretty good. I'm not sure if they belong on that tier who, who belongs on the second tier and how, and, and of those teams, who do you like to challenge Alabama as the front runner the most?
4: Yeah, I'm with you on only having one in the first tier. And that certainly is Bama. Um, I think Georgia and Florida are a virtual toss-up. Uh, you know, I kind of want to go against the grain and, and say I like Florida better, but I don't know if I do. And I don't know if Jamie Newton's def- Newman's defection wasn't because JT Daniels had outperformed him. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't know what they're going to look like at quarterback. Um, I, I think A&M is very close to that top tier. We need consistency on offense with Kellen Mond. That's a big deal. Elijah Blades' departure, defection, opt-out, that's a big deal. That's certainly significant. Uh, Their schedule is tough. We do know that. At least it's not as hard as it's been the last couple of years. Alabama first tier. I think Florida, Georgia, A&M, second tier. If I could go tier two and a half, I'd put Tennessee on it. Uh, I'd put Kentucky on that. I think Kentucky and Tennessee are two programs that could – Get a break or two and end up on that second tier solidly as well. LSU, massive concerns about them. Uh, you know, and and, and in the fact, I, I'm really eager to watch on the 26th. I, Mississippi State, if Mike Leach has been able to install his air raid uh, with KJ Costello to a degree that is scary, I think LSU runs into some trouble week one against Mississippi State. Even though I said I don't think. The new coaches are going to have a ton of success or be top half of the, of the league programs. I certainly think running into uh, LSU on week one when LSU has so many new pieces to break in, I think makes for an interesting matchup there.
0: 19-point favorite Baton Rouge LSU fans. Uh, yeah. Dari Noka picking Mississippi State to win on the road. That's what I heard. That's what I heard here on the show.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Give me the 19, Gall. I know that. <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. Uh, c- continuing to look at a couple of games from week one. Kentucky at Auburn. That'll be on SEC Network at noon Eastern time. That's to me. I know Florida at Ole Miss has got the whole Dan Mullen, Lane Kiffin return to the state of Mississippi. All that stuff is is fascinating. Um, you mentioned some of the yeah. new teams. Tennessee, South Carolina's really good but to me it's Kentucky Auburn that's the game that I'm most intrigued by I think Kentucky's offensive line is really good I think Auburn is rebuilt at a lot of different positions in the trenches I think even as a 10 and a half point dog I think Kentucky can go down to the plains and get a win
4: I think you're exactly right I agree with that Kentucky on that side of the football could be very very dangerous and Auburn's not just rebuilding a defensive line to some degree but also their offensive line and it's hard to be a championship-level contender in this league if, you're, if you are new and rel- and inexperienced on both lines of scrimmage, right? This is a league you build from the inside out. That makes it hard uh, to be an Auburn in this situation, and Kentucky's a very dangerous team with a ton of experience on offense. I'm with you. I, I don't expect them to win. Wouldn't shock me if they did. Uh, I do not bet but if I did I would take Kentucky in the points and run with that.
0: <laughs> uh Darinoka here of course tell everybody what you got going on on the first weekend, the first college football Saturday of the SEC coming up this Saturday. What do you guys got going on for everybody out there?
4: Man, I you know what? We're just being in there. Being in there's a part of it. We've got three game, four games actually. We've got our, our we've got our early start. Uh, Peter Burns be in studio with uh, Chizik and Doring for that. I'll come in his place at four Eastern. We've got a four o'clock and we've got a seven thirty on the main, and a seven thirty the Vandy A and M game over on the alternate. So, you know, to have seven games and four of them on the SEC network slash alternate, I think is really good for us. We're excited about it, and we just cannot wait to, uh, you know, to get in there and talk about it, man. I mean, it's God, it, you know. I, I know that we're only like four weeks later than we were supposed to be. It feels like we're four <laughs> months later, doesn't it? It's
0: crazy. Uh, the nightcap, of course, the seven thirty Eastern time kick, six thirty here locally in Nashville, Tennessee at South Carolina, the lowest point spread by the way in the first week. So a hell of a nice nightcap there with Tennessee and South Carolina. Certainly some, like some history it. for sure.
4: No doubt. No doubt, man. We've got, I, I just, this 10 game thing, I, I'm so curious to see what happens after it. they you know, they're going to be, banging on Sankey's door saying we should do this every year or should we at least go to nine I just let's just sit back and enjoy this let's just sit back and enjoy 10 conference games um and 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 quite honestly man I'm I'm glad very very glad I feel like the season has a little bit more legitimacy to it now that the Big Ten has decided to play ball as well I I I think we're we're coming out of this better than we could have Uh, let's hope we can get through it let's hope teams aren't aren't unable to play games let's hope let's hope these guys are staying healthy and safe and we get to enjoy it together,
0: and 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 uh, healthy on the football field too. After ten conference games, eight conference games in the SEC is pretty, yeah. it's pretty yeah. brutal physically. So an extra two is not going to be. It's that's, that's no joke for the players. That's for sure. So
4: yeah, you're uh, right
0: about that. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Can't look, can't wait to see you guys back in your in your normal setup there on Saturday. So it's going to be a ton of fun. Four games on the SEC network coming up this Saturday. Thank you, Darry. I appreciate it, man. All right, right, good to talk to you, man. All right, there you have it. Uh, first week of actions coming up. We'll be back next week, of course, to wrap up all that we learned about the sec in week one. Uh, of course we might have some, some mystery people stop by and we'll have some interviews as well. So stay tuned, rate review and subscribe. Where can people find you, Aaron?
1: Um, at the Aaron Dugan on Twitter, but I'm more of an Instagram girl. I'm Aaron underscore Dugan,
0: Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. You can follow me at Braden gall on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe so that everybody knows and finds out about the show. Tell everybody what you think about it. Love us or hate us. We don't care. Just tell people about the show. That's that's all we want, right? Please just tell people about it.
1: This is your job. The end of the show is your job. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy SEC football. It's finally back. Finally. Rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening. This is the Fringe Elephant.